The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I do want a podcast. I really need a podcast today because there's a lot to get off my chest in the best of ways. Glad to have one in the can, that's for sure. It is Monday, May 11th. The year is 2020. It's episode 249 of the Anakin Florian podcast. And coincidentally, we will be recapping UFC 249, Ferguson versus Gaethje today. A lot to get to as we unpack every different layer of what was a great fight card, but a very interesting fight week and one that obviously we will not soon forget. Waiting on Ken Flo here. We're doing a little bit of an earlier start time today. My man TJ DeSantis is ready to go. And by the way, if you caught TJ over the weekend, great post coverage uh, at UFCFightPass.com. But we have a little bit of an early start today, so we're waiting on Ken Flo. But as you might expect, having gone through this first fight week, I got a fucking shit ton to talk about. So I'm going to just start with some of that stuff. So I got to give the UFC credit, right, for everything that they put in place from a protocol standpoint to make us feel safe, not just on fight night, but now that we're coming out the other side and getting ready for another show. You see my yellow wristband here if you're watching on YouTube. So I went back and got screened again this morning, and that part of the process has been ongoing. It's been mandatory that we've had to go get screened every day. But this whole week has just been fucking crazy, and it's nice to be able to sit here and talk to you guys having gotten UFC 249 done, because when Jacare Souza's test came down on Friday night, I was just praying that there wasn't another one that was going to follow, because if Jacare and his coaches had had tested positive for COVID-19, and then there was another fighter, then you start to wonder, man, you know, how deep does this run? But obviously you had 25 camps come in here and you only had one fighter test positive. We had another 25 camps come in here on Sunday night and we have another show, of course, on Wednesday. So hopefully those athletes and coaches are clean. And uh, Wednesday, the UFC fight night on ESPN Plus goes off without a hitch. But uh, broadcasting from those separate tables was certainly an adjustment for us. I'm an affectionate guy, as I said on the show last week, right? So to not be able to have that physical contact, there are times when... They need me to get a promo read in, and I might just touch Joe Rogan on the forearm to pause him down to get in there. I didn't have that opportunity, right? So I really had to wait for a cue and almost have the producers wrap those guys hard so I could get my promo in and obviously get back to the fight action, uh, of which there was a lot. But it was a great night. Obviously, the fighters came up big. You know, a lot of decisions on the prelims with the exception of Vicente Luque and Nico Price. And then the finishes came fast and furious on pay-per-view. But let's start with the fight atmosphere. And then we'll get into Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. Uh, We've got some voicemails from our listeners. So, uh, TJ, let's start with... uh, Let's start with Joe H., our first voicemail. See what he had to say over the weekend about UFC 249. I'm a little bit slow. Sorry. That's okay. You got, you got everybody working early on a Monday. I mean, Kenny I hasn't even put his face on yet. Uh, here we go. That's yeah. right. Hey, guys. Joe from H-Town here. Follow me on Twitter at JoeDaddy85 by John Annick. Good job, John. Happy Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Uh, what an exciting uh, event last night. Uh, props to Cejudo. Uh, I didn't think that was a good stoppage, but... Uh, Hopefully, Dom will be back, and hopefully, Cejudo will be, will be back. Uh, outstanding performance from Gaethje. I mean, what, what can you say? The guy just uh, 
dominated one of the freak athletes in the world last night. So uh, that was awesome to see. And uh, just a quick question for John. How did you feel when uh, Jacare tested positive for the corona, man? I'd I, I really like to know um, someone's feelings that was on the ground. So uh, uh, that's it. Have a good one, and uh, thanks a lot, fellas. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate the uh, the support all along. I sort of felt like Jacare might test positive because he was keeping his distance from Uriah Hall at the stare down. He was the only fighter who was just consistently wearing the gloves, not just the mask, but the gloves everywhere he went. So, you know, maybe there was uh, there's something there and he was expectant that he would uh, test positive. But uh, I sort of said off the top at first, I was like, man, I hope it doesn't jeopardize this show. But uh felt pretty confident that, that maybe he would be the only case. So uh, I think for a lot of us who had that swab test, we were just anxious waiting to get our own results and to make sure we heard the word negative because obviously we put a lot into this show and I think we were fearful that maybe we weren't going to be able to work it. And given the nature of our show, and TJ knows this all too well as a play-by-play guy and as, as a production guy, there are a lot of pre-voiced elements. It's not that easy to just get another play-by-play guy in here if I would have popped positive. So the pre-voiced stuff, all of the preparation that goes into it makes it very difficult unlike a football game, to just plop somebody else in there. But uh, thankfully, Jacques de Souza was the only fighter to uh, test positive, and thankfully the UFC continues to take care of him medically, and hopefully he gets out the other side. He was asymptomatic, so I don't know if he's feeling any worse than he was on Friday, but uh, real, what a show. Yeah, quick, go ahead, John, TJ. If you, if you don't mind, you know, looking at Jacques Ray, you mentioned his uh, asymptomatic state. Like, it, it is still very difficult to get tested in certain parts of the country. Here in California, you still have to either get approved by a medical doctor and go through multiple appointments to get the, the swab test, or you have to uh, fit some certain criteria like international travel, which that's not happening now. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not internationally right. uh, traveling much in the last uh, couple of weeks at this point. Um, I, I wonder if Jacare would have even have been able to be tested prior to this event. So in a, in a roundabout way, a lot of people are getting tested where they wouldn't be uh, afforded that opportunity. Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up, right? Because for Jacare, you know, maybe he had a relative, as Stephen A. Smith reported, that he thought might be symptomatic or have COVID-19. But you're right. It's not like Jacare can get tested unless he comes here. And certainly uh, he was unable to compete. You got to feel for Uriah Hall, of course. If you saw the feature on ESPN.com, he's been sleeping on an air mattress at Fortis MMA. He's essentially been training for this fight since November. So certainly a hard pill for Uriah Hall to swallow. But I think in this climate, You have to be expectant if you're an athlete that shit could go sideways, you know. So I feel for Uriah. uh, I feel for Jacare, of course. But I think if you have any grand expectations that everything's going to go seamlessly and perfectly in this climate, um, I think there's some ignorance there. So as far as this main event was concerned, it's crazy that this main event took place without a crowd. Because had there been a crowd, I don't think you would have been able to hear much of the broadcast at all. The number of power significant strikes that Justin Gaethje landed upstairs on Tony Ferguson is absolutely insane. And I hate to lead with negativity, but I'm just going to be real with you. I covered a boxing death in 2005, the late, great Levander Johnson. And if you've watched boxing matches in which a, a man or woman has perished, this is how boxers die. Perpetual head damage Maybe too tough for their own good. You know, Tony Ferguson's the fucking Terminator. You don't get knocked down. And so there's not an obvious point for the referee to come in and stop the fight. Because Tony Ferguson is still throwing offense back. 
you know, showing showing off an otherworldly chin, but never getting knocked down in the fight. And that's how the perpetual damage starts to add up. And you get maybe two or three concussions within a fight. And I always remember when I was hosting the Mouthpiece Boxing Radio Show, watching some of these boxing matches ringside. And it was torture. You know, you'd see a guy absorb all this head damage and then he gets knocked down. And, hey, man, if you can get up in 10 seconds, come up and get another concussion. Thankfully, Herb Dean was at his best when he needed to be. And when Tony Ferguson was, you know, junk driving on those legs at the end of the fight, Herb Dean stepped in and stopped the fight. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about Tony Ferguson absorbing all of that damage in one fight. It's just not good for you, and I hope he takes five or six months, which I know is not his norm, but to really try to recover. As far as this Gaethje performance is concerned, you know, I felt like he had a great chance. You know, I did a lot of media last week. I thought he was certainly a live underdog. This was a pick and fight for me. I didn't expect that it would go the distance, but... You know, Justin Gaethje prides himself on being the most entertaining fighter in mixed martial arts. But there was an obvious pivot, and this is probably repetitive to some of you who watch the broadcast, but there was a definite pivot when he lost back-to-back fights in the UFC. He had a conversation with Trevor Whitman and basically intimated to Trevor at that time that maybe his goals had changed after absorbing back-to-back losses because he didn't like losing, and maybe that crystallized for him that the belt actually did mean something. And... Now he's got an interim championship belt. And, of course, it's not an undisputed title, and I understand all of that. Uh, But he's got a UFC interim lightweight championship, and it's a brand-new shiny belt, and it still weighs 12 pounds, and the word interim is not anywhere near it. And I think that's exciting for Justin Gaethje, even if he sort of unceremoniously put it on the canvas and said, I'll wait for the real one. His body of work in the WSOF was otherworldly off the charts five successful defenses i think there were six actual fights after he first won that lightweight championship but some people wondered how it would go for him in the ufc and now you've seen two major champions eddie alvarez and justin gaethje come in and realize that ufc gold it's a very powerful thing and i don't think gaethje was looking for validation i do believe he would have always gone down as certainly the most entertaining man in MMA, but as one of the elite lightweights of his era. But now there's no doubt. You know, now that signature win two nights ago might have punched his UFC Hall of Fame ticket. So couldn't be happier for Justin Gaethje. Tremendous guy, tremendous worker. I just love his attitude. I love everything out of his mouth. You know, he's so thoughtful with everything that he says. A lot of people are saying this is Gaethje version 2.0, and I don't know how you could say otherwise at this point in time when you look at the patient's exercise down the stretch and not forcing the finish at any point in time. Uh, I know there were times where Trevor Whitman had to do some coaching there, especially early on in the fight when it looked as though uh, it, when it looked as though he was maybe throwing everything with 100% conviction, and Trevor Whitman obviously asked him to scale it back But uh, what a performance. What a performance. And I feel like if you say maybe the atmosphere hurt certain athletes, you know, Dominic Cruz got off to a slow start. I think having not fought since 2016, Cruz might have been a guy who was really buoyed by the crowd. But I think for Justin Gaethje, it might have just helped. Uh, It certainly didn't hurt him any. You know, he just walked out and uh, was just totally in his element and was ready to go against a true boogeyman. TJ, I just got a text from Ken Flo. It looks like he is ready to go. So if you want to add him into our conversation at any point in time, uh, certainly feel free to do so. Um, But Justin Gaethje is the UFC's interim lightweight champion. Dana White suggested on our post show on ESPN+. 
that Tony Ferguson looked slow and just didn't look right. And and certainly when you look at this Tony Ferguson winning streak, and it's amazing, somebody pointed it out. I think it might have been Chamakter Sandu, the great reporter and social media guy, that Henry Cejudo fought his entire mixed martial arts career start to finish without Tony Ferguson losing a fight in that span, which is absolutely incredible to think about. So eight years, Tony Ferguson was essentially perfect against high-level competition, and he certainly picked a bad night uh, to not deliver. I think Justin Gaethje had more to do with this Ferguson result than anything. I just think he ran into the better man. I don't want to sit here and say that Justin beats Tony eight times out of ten if they were to fight ten times, but I do think Justin would have the hand at least six. I think he has Tony's number in a lot of respects. Tony also acknowledged that this was a training camp that dated to November. And even though we put Tony Ferguson on a pedestal and talk about his training methods and his ability to go six hours without even taking, you know, a tablespoon of water, he deserves to be on that pedestal. But I do believe having a six month training camp and making weight and everything else uh, wasn't necessarily the right elixir or the right recipe to beat a guy in Justin Gaethje that will be underappreciated no more. And I got a text from a buddy of mine who is as rabid an MMA fan as probably anybody listening to this podcast, and he just wanted to sort of issue a retraction and apologize for not acknowledging Justin Gaethje as the truly elite lightweight that he is. So, so happy for Justin Gaethje and his family, you know, for his parents, Ray and Carolina. They've essentially been at every single show that he has ever done. Um, So... All props to Justin Gaethje for a tremendous career-defining victory. And we're certainly, when, we jo- when we're joined by Kempflo and Ray, we're going to spin it forward and see, uh, see how it all matches up with Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. All right, support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped. Have you ever had an awkward moment where you had to, like, grapple with someone who had a full bush coming out of their singlet? No. Well, thankfully, Manscaped has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. Manscaped truly is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, and their top-notch ball trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0 will keep you clean without nicks and cuts. Manscaped has also partnered with a lot of top-tier MMA athletes, Max Blessed Holloway, Francis Ngannou, and many others who understand that hygiene matters and also know what it takes to be the best. Well, so does this revolutionary company, Manscaped. I'm telling you, they just redesigned the Lawnmower 3.0. This has begun to become a true staple of my whole manscaping process. It features a great ceramic blade, proprietary advanced skin safe technology. No accidents anymore with this ceramic blade. I'm telling you. And of course, for our great listeners and viewers, especially those who are men, we want to get you involved in big picture. We just don't want you using the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls. So, if you want to get the Lawnmower 3.0 or anything else that Manscaped has to offer, you can get 20% off right now with free shipping with the code AF at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code AF. Manscaped.com, code AF. Thank you, Manscaped, for supporting mixed martial arts and the athletes worldwide. All right, Ray Longo is up all night watching UFC 249. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Nothing makes me happier when I'm calling a pay-per-view. When I get a text message from Kenny Florian or Ray Longo, I didn't get any text wow. from Ken Flo at UFC 249. I actually had to text Ken Flo after the cruise stoppage to see what he felt about it at commercial breaks. I'm texting my guy Flo, but I did get a text from Ray Longo, 
And it just gives me that energy boost, Raymond. Uh, we're welcoming Ken Flo in right now. Wow. Flo, it's good to see you. Ray, thanks for the text over the weekend, my man. No, any, any time, man. What, a, what an exciting card, man. I think a lot to talk about. Crazy, crazy. A lot night. to talk about. And uh, atmospherically, we talked a little bit about some of the conditions that we were dealing with on the broadcast at the top. But I want to talk about this fight between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. And there are so many things we could talk about it. I was giving Justin all the credit in the world, obviously, off the top of the show. But, Ray, I want to talk to you about Ferguson and specifically his corner and their lack of adjustments. Because I mentioned something at the end of the pay-per-view broadcast. And certainly, Flo, want to get your thoughts on this. You know, Eddie Bravo was talking about Tony and how the boxing looked pretty good. At one point, he suggested maybe an Imanari role as a change of strategy. But, Ray, I just didn't think, and I know you are in accordance with this thought, that there was a whole lot of intel or insight being offered to Tony in terms of making adjustments. And maybe this is just because Tony likes to coach himself in a lot of respects, but you saw Trevor Whitman doing a great job on the other side. I didn't feel like that Ferguson corner had a ton to give Tony in terms of pointed advice. Ah, man, you just, you just covered a lot of different things, but yeah, first off, hats off to, uh, Trevor Whitman and Justin Gaethje, beautiful, beautiful job. And it's great to see when guys are communicating in the corner and responding. You could see the rapport they have. And look, John, this is a fight where the corner could make a difference. You know what I mean? And I think it was, I think we've seen it, probably seen it more because there was no crowd. So you could, you know, listen in on the corners, but it's, and it seemed like, uh, like Ferguson just, I mean, if there, I, I think what I text you is I can't believe there's no lack of urgency. Like there was, right. I mean, he was getting a beating and I don't know, uh, you know, I, I really don't even know what to say because you brought up a good point. I know this from being, you know, from coaching, obviously, is that Ferguson, look, he, he looked like a guy that does his own thing. And then when it came time to get some advice, it's not there because, you know, you're so used to doing your own thing. You're not really listening to anybody. So that that could have been the problem right there. So I, I don't want to go out and talk anything about, you know, the coaches because I don't, we don't know their relationship right. and their position. Right. But if you observe, there's a big difference in the relationship between Trevor Whitman and Justin Gaethje as there is, you know, in the other corner. I mean, there was yeah. a total disconnect. And then there was a total connect. Right. And I honestly believe that had a lot to do with Gaethje winning that fight. And yeah. uh, hats off to those guys, man. It's just great to see because you could see they how well they know each other. And that the communication, is, it's calm. It's insightful. Right. He listened. He made the adjustments. Take something off your punches. This was right. great work, man. So yep. uh, hats off to those guys. And again, you know, as a coach, man, I love to see it. And uh, Trevor's uh, just a nice guy. He deserves all the accolades he could get. And it was just fun to watch as a coach and then you go to the other corner and it's just like even no urgency with the Imanari role I don't I look I like again I don't really I don't want to say it's just you could see there was a big difference in the corners in that fight Kenny Rashad but, Holloway know, got got urgent later in the fight with some advice and some direction for Tony Ferguson you're you're a UFC corner man someone who fought for the title three times Am I reaching here? I, any thoughts on that Ferguson corner and their inability as a team to make any sort of requisite adjustments in the fight? You know, you're not you're not, you're not reaching at all. I, I think the main difference is not only did uh, the rapport uh, between Gaethje and Whitman not only was that different a uh, different dynamic, but I also think they're just different fighters. I mean, 
you look at Tony Ferguson, I, I think what makes Tony Ferguson great is the fact that he allows himself to actually do what he does in training. He allows those weapons to come forth, and he's never been known as the most technical guy. Right. Are you going to all of a sudden teach him how to jab? <laughs> are, are you going to hey, Tony, keep your chin down. Why are you getting hit out there? You be evasive. That's not his style. Right, That's the right. big problem. So I think for Tony Ferguson, the, the corner was probably shocked. Like, shit, nothing is working out there. What the hell do we do? I've never seen – it's rare, right? If you are a corner man and you're like – reaching for something in your pocket, be like, ah, Imanari roll. You got to do an Imanari right. roll. Like, that's not going to win the fight. If you're reaching for straws like that, like, right. and just throwing one thing, like, this is the one thing that's going to win you the fight, right. you're already pretty fucked, if, if we're being honest, right? And Imanari roll in terms of the degree of difficulty. Uh, yeah, it's, it's is, extremely difficult. I mean, I can do it, Kenny, but I understand right. for a lot of people it's very <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Right. In terms of and, and of you and, and you could and you could see at the time he did it in the fight, Gaethje was nowhere near him. It's it's just right. made it even look worse. I mean, right. it was just like the perfect storm of things just not going right. And and again, dude, I got to tell you, hats off to Tony Ferguson. He's got a chin of uh, I don't know what that My thing gosh. is made of, but but I don't want to see that, you know, because he, you know, I I you know you know what bothers me also about this is I do believe he. He earned that fight. He earned the right to fight Khabib, and that really yeah. was the fight. When stuff like this happens, man, you know he's doing the right thing, and it's a fight, and everybody, look, we all benefited from it, but it, it kind of sucks that you know he might never even see that fight again, and that was a fight everybody wanted to see. Yeah, I mean, I am so happy for Justin Gaethje and the life-changing money yeah. and opportunities that are going to come his yeah. way. But you're right. I am very sad here on a Monday morning for Tony Ferguson because it is just complete insanity and defies all logic, Kenny, that he's never fought for the undisputed title. And while I do believe that history will look back upon his winning streak fondly, um, this is a tough pill for him to swallow. And at 36 years old, it stands to reason that he may not fight for the undisputed belt after absorbing this loss two days ago. This is what worried me. I mean, um, he's, uh, you know, in my book, one of the best lightweights of all time, period. No one could ever take that away from him. But as exactly. far as, you know, um, realizing his dream of being a champion in that division, um, that might be gone forever. That's the saddest part about this. Now, this wasn't just the only issue. I mean, he had five other times to do it uh, against Habib, right? right? right. So th th we can't talk about those other things, too. Just for whatever reason, it just never came to fruition. And he fought a guy in Justin Gaethje who, who I thought was a tougher matchup for him stylistically. And I think that ended up being um, proven true on Saturday night. And it was kind of further cemented by the fact that we had Gaethje, who was not only technically at his best that he's ever been in his career, he was the most composed Gaethje we've ever seen. He paced himself the best that we've ever seen. Uh, and all those factors wrapped into one was allowed Gaethje to win that fight. And it was just kind of terrible circumstances for uh, Tony Ferguson, who has done everything possible uh, in his power to become a champion in this sport. And and that's the saddest part. Ferguson will go down as a legend. Yeah. Um, I also am I'm kind of further worried by the fact that he took so much damage in that fight after taking a lot of damage in his career. And I hope this is not the case. I hope he takes a long time off and allows his body and brain to recover. Um, but this fight was concerning to me on, on how Ferguson can take his fight to the take his game to the next level for that next fight. Yeah, and let me just say another thing. 
who knows what those two weight cuts in three weeks did. I mean, I just, I just felt bad for the guy because you could see he's a, you know, he's he's a little different. But I mean, he did go out. He made the weight cut. If he would have won this fight, it would have been crazy. You know, look look at this guy. He did this. He did that. Right. You know, uh, but I it just it, it kind of sucks because I I agree with Ken. He did everything right to to fight for that title. I mean, his win streak is crazy uh, against great guys and you know, not realize that dream and, and, and all the, all the things that come with being a champion, you know what I mean? There's right. a lot, man. Right. Um, it kind of sucks, man. I, Cause I think he, yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't know what I'm feeling. I feel bad. Look, I picked him to win. I thought he would, you know, eventually get to him. But right. when that thing started going South, who knows? I mean, the way his legs looked, you know, he was turning his back and I know he does that in the fights, but uh, I think it was a little difference. I don't know. I just, I feel bad that he even made the weight and he was proving a point and I, I it yeah. might have backfired on him. I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but, and it's not taking away anything away from Gaethje because what a fantastic fight. And again, Trevor Whitman calming him down saying, take something off those punches was critical. Yeah. And, and he, he made the adjustment. You could see they've had conversations in the past before on what he's done wrong in fights. And they're talking about in the corner, like it's nothing like, like he's watching the sparring session. I thought it was absolutely fantastic work. It was a near-perfect performance from Justin Gaethje. And Kenny, he's such a fucking G that the one picture he posts on Instagram was Ferguson's lone seminal moment in the fight. He posts the picture of Ferguson landing that uppercut, and he writes, face your fears, folks, right? Dude's a total fucking inspiration. You know, I won a fantasy yeah. football league two years ago, and my team was called Team Gaethje, okay? And I need to go <laughs> back to that, right? But he truly is... Uh, cut from a different cloth than a lot of guys and I'm just so happy for him. Ken Flo, I did say off the top of the show and and I'm not trying to to bring the show down into this sort of morass of negativity, but I have covered a boxing death in my life and this is how boxers die, Kenny, is when they just absorb all that damage to the head for 25 or 36 minutes and thankfully Herb Dean stepped in when he did, but um just sort of piggybacking on something you said earlier, you know, I, I'm afraid that this is a result in a fight that is going to stay with Tony for some time. It, it, it's very concerning to me. You know, a, a lot of people think, well, uh, it's great. He's got this great chin. That means he can take more damage. It's tremendous. Uh, you know, this is exactly what the, the, the superpower that you want. If you're a fighter, <laughs> right, that's right, what you right. want. Um, <laughs> the problem is, is that, you know, it doesn't mean you're not taking damage. You're not getting knocked down or you're not getting knocked out, but you are taking damage. There's a big, big difference. And um, people think that, you know, because you can eat a bunch of shots that you're fine. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Your brain is still taking a lot of damage. And Gaethje, I guarantee you guys that Gaethje hits harder than anybody that Ferguson has ever fought. And we've seen Ferguson get hit before. And we've seen him get hurt, you know, a few times in his fights and Ferguson at 36, that is very concerning to me, man. I, 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 for, you know, Ferguson isn't going to quit. You know, those You're are right. the two guys, you know, probably the best examples out of anyone in the UFC that are willing to die in the octagon. Some, some will say right. it. Many will say it. Very few are actually willing to do it. Right. Gaethje and Ferguson are those men. And that's what was concerning to me. And that's why that stoppage was so good. Right. You needed to yeah. do that. When yeah. you look at a reaction like what Ferguson did, where he looks down, he shakes his head, he looks down again, he shakes his head, he's trying to figure out where the hell he is in time, and the referee goes in and stops it. Thank goodness. 
What what an yeah, insane yeah. visual that was. And uh, shout out to Ken Flo willing to die in the sauna, by the way. Too, so. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, good. <laughs> hey, Ray, we got to. Yeah, good. <laughs> Sorry, we got to move forward to Cejudo and Cruz here because I don't want to shortchange any of these fights with you. So it was for the UFC Bantamweight Championship. And right after there was an inadvertent headbutt largely caused by Cejudo's forward motion, 10 seconds later, Cejudo lands that seminal knee and finishes Cruz with strikes on the ground. Your thoughts on uh, on Cejudo winning and uh, the Keith Peterson stoppage there, Raymond? Uh, yeah, uh, man, tough. I think, um, again, look, you know what Cejudo does really good, man? And you've seen it over and over again. When he gets you in trouble, he just swarms you. And he's hitting you so fast and hard, it kind of gives the ref no choice but to stop the fight. Now, let me just, I'm going to be, you know, going back and forth all over the place. Because I do agree with with Dominic Cruz. I mean, this fight could have went either way, right? So, I mean, not either way with that. But, I mean, he was getting up, so I get his point. But then, you know, again, he, you know, his, his rationale for, I told him I wanted to die in the ring. You know, the, you could tell the ref, whatever you want, he's there to protect you though. You could say that I told him, I just want to let it go. You could, you know, and then, you know, when Joe goes, you know, you had 11 unanswered punches, he goes, well, you know, it's part of the fight game. Yeah, that's, it is part of the fight game. It's the part where the ref steps in and stops. Right, the fight. right, right. You, right. you know what I mean? So he's right with that, but I think for the wrong reason. So he... I, yeah, I, I'm going to say it was uh, Peterson did the right thing because he really was there to protect him. And that's 11 punches was a lot. But again, it could be just the fact that, you know, Cejudo, man, he just jumps in there and he just starts swinging. And it's it's a split second. So if yeah. if uh, Dominic Cruz would have, instead of putting that foot up, would have went face down, then, right. then Peterson would have been an idiot. It was too late. He should have stopped it. After right. six punches, you know, so it was he was right on that fine line. I think at the end of the day, when you're out to protect somebody, it's it's a, it's a good call. But um, you know, you go either way. This one, this is one way you go either way. I originally, you know, I, I agree with Dom. He was getting up, but then I could agree with Keith. He's protecting him, and that's a lot of punches not to answer back. You know, Ken Flo, a couple things. I'm going to try to say them quickly because I really want to get your thoughts on this. I do like when referees know the athlete. I would like for the referees to understand that Dominic Cruz has never been knocked out in mixed martial arts competition, has a hell of a chin, so maybe I would have liked him to have gotten a little bit of a longer leash. Referees can't be focused on there only being two seconds left on the clock. I think a lot of people, maybe myself included, would like Dom to have gotten those final two seconds, but Keith Peterson doesn't care if there's two seconds or 20 seconds on the clock. But one thing that I just want to say, and for the pro fighters that are listening to our podcast, I hope you'll listen to this. Referees don't want to be manipulated in the back as to how to do their job. So I understand that Dominic Cruz has a habit of going up to referees and saying, hey, let me die on my shield. But the referees have egos, right? And they don't want to be told how to do their job, especially when it comes to fighter safety. So I'm not saying that worked against Dominic, but, you know, he told me by phone when he tried to talk to Keith about that, Keith wouldn't even look him in the eye. Referees don't want to be told in the back how to do their job. Yeah, that's true. And and you're absolutely right about the time thing. That was one thing that I tweeted about, you know, only two seconds left. Come on. Um, You know, that should not be on the mind of the referee. He's concerned with the safety of the fighters as he should be. Um, it, it was just for me, I think he's still trying to get up to his feet. He was posting his hands on the mat. He was posting his legs on the mat to try to, you know, get up right. to, 
you know, his hands and try to look for an escape there. Was he hurt? Was that a brutal knee? Absolutely. Um, and I, I think Ray's right here, to be honest. You know, um, when you really think about it, uh, if it's a question of, you know, letting a fighter take another punch that could permanently dam damage him or stopping the fight, you got to stop the fight. Um, however, you know, w with Dom and his experience and stuff like that, I would have liked to seen him at least kind of, you know, give the guy a chance. Those shots at the end, they, they weren't brutal shots. They weren't like the knee type shots. I agree. They weren't like the clean type shots on the temple or, you know, on the chin, things like that where, you know, Dom's actually rocking forward from the shots. He Those were like little, you know, rabbit shots to, to the side of the head or whatever that really weren't affecting Dom. So in that regard, I would have liked to seen it. I think there's a difference between, you know, a punch uh, on the ground, a big punch on the ground, a, a yeah. punch to the chin. How hard that punch is, you got to take in that, take that all into consideration. Um, but the knee was was dramatic. It definitely was a big knee. I it agree did. with a lot of what it you did. said, and, and his body was still firm too when right. he was taking those ground strikes. Ray, go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I, I look. I, I think we're all agreeing on everything we're saying. It's this is why it was a tricky fight, but that's why I give Cejudo credit because he does. I agree. The punches weren't that crazy, but he does put you in a position where he's going so fast and it happens so quick that you kind of got to jump in there. That's right. where it gets, I think, a little tricky. So hats off to Cejudo. I think he does that great. You know what I mean? He didn't He didn't sit there and look to pick his shots, you know, and hold them down. He just started firing. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and the other part with, the, with that is it looked like that fight was going Cejudo's way. I didn't see anything. Yeah. Yeah, that led me to believe that Cruz was going to win that fight. It had it kept going, even though it was very, very early. Well, but Cejudo just looked like he was in tune with everything, man. He wasn't falling for anything. His leg kicks were vicious. Uh, I thought so, Dom. I don't know. I thought Dom was winning the second round, actually. Up until that point, he was winning that round. I I had him winning that round. Yeah, yeah. He started looking. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm look. I'm not going to. I'm not. A, I'm not disagreeing or agreeing. I, it, I just think it was an unfortunate thing because. On both sides, I could I could make a case for being stopped early or being stopped late, but I I thought Cejudo was fighting a great fight. Yeah, he you know he had his spurts, Tom. I don't know if he was. I'd have to go back and look at it because my mind's just thinking of the knee right now. But it just looked like he was. It was kind of effortless for him. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he it looked like the movement wasn't going to end up being a problem. I just that's preliminary and it might be stupid to say, but that's what I was looking at. So at the end of the day, I feel bad for Tom. Look, I, I know the guy, I like the guy. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen him get a chance. It's just a, you know, it's that, that's, that's a weird one, you know, cause it could have went yeah. either way. And, you know, I'm friends with Dominic Cruz. I'm friends with Keith Peterson. I know much is being made of Dominic saying on our post show that, that Keith Peterson smelled like cigarettes and alcohol, but I spoke with Dominic Cruz for 45 <laughs> minutes Sunday morning at four o'clock AM and he's owning this loss. He's really not making excuses. You know, he said he should have been more offensive and he shouldn't have gotten hit with the knee. I do believe, Kenny, he was having a lot of success in round two. But Henry Cejudo, right, of all the athletes that I have gotten to know and watch since I started with the UFC, other than maybe Ken Flo, you know, no one has had a bigger impact from an inspirational standpoint on me than Henry Cejudo. This guy is so special. Look no further Ray, then the way he responded after that inadvertent headbutt. You know, he didn't take the last 20 seconds of the second round off. He went out and fucking smoked Dominic Cruz and, and defended his title, retires after the fact. Tremendous combat sports legacy. I think the only sad part for me is that he looks like an absolute killer right now who is entering his fighting prime. And 
at least if maybe they're not going to meet his number, it looks like he might just walk away for good, Ray. Listen, this is what I what I loved about that fight more than anything is that let me tell you something. If you're not a Henry Cejudo fan after that fight, I think something's wrong with you. Even even if the retirement, I don't know if it's a ploy for money, but to walk out of this game, you know, on top like that, I I personally love to see. I really do. And if he if it is true, I don't know. Like again, it could be a promotional thing for money, but I think for a while, if he doesn't get his money, he'll be fine going into the next chapter of his life. I mean, I, he was, I, I believed it, and I, I could be wrong, but I think, you know, like, again, even when he said, you don't have to listen to me anymore, I mean, you could see this is a guy that, you know, people with the cringe and all of that stuff, but you could see he's a really good dude under there, man. That was, I, I thought it was heartfelt. I enjoyed it. If that guy goes out on top, I'll even respect him more, you know, because, uh, I don't know, I just got that feeling. I, You know, I have a saying, it's like, I'd rather be a, a starving dog roaming free than a fat dog on a chain. And that's, that's what I felt with that man. Hey, listen, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not bowing to anybody. I'm getting out of here on top. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. It's hard to disagree with any of those accolades, man. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. And like, again, I thought he spoke. This is the best I've ever heard him sound speaking when he's not doing any bullshit or trying to be a different person. I thought what I saw was, was fantastic. And, I wish him all the luck in the world. I wasn't the biggest Henry Cejudo fan, but I certainly am now. Ken Flo, what do you got for me on Henry, kid? Um, you know, he really is special. I, I don't even know what to say at this point. This is a guy who um, ha- has everything you need to be to, in order to be a fighter. He's got some a, a different level of, of athleticism that you just rarely see in this sport. But then you see that he's got the intelligence. Um, as far as his strategies and, and going out there and being able to execute that. If he does struggle, can you adapt out there? Yes, you can. Um, are you a world champion? Yep, he's got two divisions. Um, <laughs> are, are you competing against the toughest guys in the sport? 100% as well. Um, you know, comes from an Olympic gold medalist background in freestyle wrestling, with which very few people will ever get a chance to do. Um, he is absolutely something special. If he retires now, um, he will kind of not only be in a conversation of one of the greatest to ever do it, but people will be talking about, um, could, could he have been the greatest of all time? Um, you know, 10 and 0 Olympic gold medalist made it look easy. Finishing guys left and right. He's got power as well. He's got a chin. I mean, there's so many things about Henry Cejudo that are checked off on the list. I don't think there's anything left. Good luck beating that guy. Good luck beating right. that guy. It, you know, if he if he stays, I hope he gets the money. He absolutely deserves it. Um, he's someone that people should be talking about. Um, if he doesn't, I wish him the best of luck as well. And and that's like a G move right there. Him saying, oh, you know what? I, I don't need it. I don't need the money. I, I got my belts. I came in here. I kicked everyone's ass. Yep. Take it easy. Right. Well, and you look at his last four, you look at his last four victims, right? Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Marais and Dominic Cruz wins belts in two divisions, defends them both. And I do believe his inner monologue right now is such that, all right, I want to be C4 instead of triple C, but I'm too small to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. I do believe he thinks it's just biting off a little more than he can chew. I just think there's too much of a size gap there. So to defend the Bantamweight title against Piotr Jan right now, 
I think he wants big money to do that. If that's not going to happen, there's really not a whole lot else to prove. And I don't, I don't necessarily see a whole lot of upside in one more Bantamweight title defense from a legacy standpoint. So, yeah, you talk about G moves. Uh, what yeah, a fucking G. Yeah. I, I, I'm going 100% with that, 100%. Crazy. I really uh, – and I tell you, that went over Marlon Marais' fast thing because Marlon's a big 135, and he's hit – you know, he's a powerful guy. That was a really impressive win, man. Yeah. And like you said, he's getting – He's gotten better. He looks like he's gotten comfortable in his own skin or whatever was, you know, the weight thing isn't a problem as it was in the past or whatever was going on. But he's, yeah, he's a handful, man. He looks, I, I think what he's doing is fantastic. He's getting out on top. And like you said, John, what what is one more fight going to do for him against Peter Yan, who nobody, you know, kind of knows. And, and to Henry's credit, I mean, Demetrius Johnson, we all know, probably pound for pound the best fighter. But you can't, kind of almost forgot about him with Henry being around the last couple of years. You know, it's not, and I that might like again that might just be me, but I think he's done such a good job at capturing people to, to pay attention to him that you know Demetrius. I don't, I don't remember the last time he fought. You know, I mean, I remember this guy's last couple of fights. So crazy carrying two divisions and to go out like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. That's 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 great stuff, man. John Anik is frozen in time. And now Kenny oh, Florian shit. is like looking around the rainforest. Oh, uh, shit. Oh, you had those guys on video? Oh, yeah. They're on video, Ray. I mean, we we haven't come up with the money to pay you yet for your FaceTime. <laughs> no. Uh, that's, that's things. How long ago did it freeze? Oh, no, no. I mean, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Now Kenny's microphone isn't on. Oh yeah, sorry. It, it actually finished up perfectly, Ray. Actually, so yeah, you, you had your worked, chance. That worked out great. Yeah, you yeah. had your chance to answer, and that was perfect. I mean, this Where'd is my time that? to shine. Don't act like we're not on the air, guys. This is yeah. my time to show the world <laughs> that I can carry this show. Uh, I'd like true. to bring in a, a man on the street, TJ Desai. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get Anik back. We should uh, maybe finish with this, though. I know we're short on time, but we got some voicemails, and uh, this one is probably near and dear to uh, Ray Longo's heart. This is Steve Lee, big fan of the podcast. Um, loved the event last night. I know a lot of guys were complaining when the UFC uh, first said they were going to put it on, but I know all those same people watched the event, so can't complain about it now. No, awesome fights. Uh, really enjoy the show. Hope you guys keep it up. Now I feel like I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar because John Anik is back, and I'm trying to steal his thunder. Oh, wow. Welcome to the DeSantis yeah. and Florian podcast, John Anik. You can have your show back. <laughs> fucked up, TJ. What a weird day this has been, huh? Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, Longo, your guy Steve, great supporter of the show, uh, checking in on the voicemail line. We appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> He's a great kid, man. A great, great kid, man. Uh I don't know. I got nothing else to say. I have a lot of fun with him. He's, he manages the gym and he does a great job. All right, buddy. Well, you're always doing a great job. Appreciate the support and the text over the weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next Monday, man. Thanks for the extended time. All right. Then again, stay, stay safe. Wow, I'm spitting all over myself. But stay safe over there, man. I hope everything's uh, up to snuff. But uh, look great. Great to be back. Some sense of normalcy, Kenny. No? Back to Absolutely. looking at some fights. We I went that. from looking at the ceiling to the fights. It was great. But uh, <laughs> great night, guys. I listen, man. Again, everybody stay safe. It was great. Great energy, great vibe. Great talking about the fights again. 
I'll yeah. see you next week. Pleasure, buddy. There he is, Ray Longo, bringing it here on a Monday. Ray Longo, minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm going to rifle through some of this other UFC 249 stuff, Kenny, and then we will get to Ian Parker here in about 10 minutes. We also have a high school senior scheduled to join us. TJ, maybe you can text him and let him know we're running a few minutes late, but uh, I'm excited for that as well. All right, so Cejudo Cruz, I think we kind of hit on everything we needed to there. You know, I certainly feel for my guy, Dominic, um, but... You know, I just feel like I feel like he didn't get the live sparring rounds that maybe he needed because it was an abbreviated, abbreviated training camp. I do believe, Kenny, that if there had been a crowd, that might have been a little bit of a performance enhancer for him. I just felt like, it, you know, it just would probably felt weird. I mean, and again, he's not going to call it ring rust necessarily, but I just think it had to feel weird walking out into that empty arena. He obviously did not get off to a good start, was moving very well in round two. I would agree with you that up until that knee... He might have been winning that second round, um, but I think his movement did work against him uh, in this finishing sequence. Yeah, you know, I, I think we, we talked about this before before this event. Those that really require much more timing because of the, the nature of their game are going to be hurt by this because they're not going to have all that sparring and stuff. I still thought Dom would be able to pull it off. He was not. Clearly, that first round, uh, Henry Cejudo had the game plan. Henry Cejudo was cutting off the octagon, and that is something that is just simply not done against Dominic Cruz, typically. Yeah. I thought Dom, with that, you know, kind of half-circle type movement that he does with those switches and all those things, he was cutting cutting the angle a little bit too tight, and he was running right into those leg kicks of Cejudo. Um, and he didn't make the proper adjustment until that second round. The first round, he just kept getting caught with it. It also seemed like Dom because he felt he was the bigger, stronger fighter, that he was going to go out there and bully Cejudo a little bit. Right. Uh, I think when he escaped that clinch from the back, I think that boded well for him. But he was swinging some big punches and big kicks that were missing uh, Cejudo big time. Um, and I don't know. It, it seemed like that was frustrating Dom a little bit to start. He settled down in the second round, was getting some momentum, and then all of a sudden we all know what happened at the end of that second round. But um, it didn't look like the typical sharp Dom Cruz that's right. kind of reading the situation. It seemed like he was moving to move and not necessarily reading what Tahuta was doing and then adjusting his game off of that in that first round. So right. that, that's kind, that kind of hurt him, uh, I think, to start. A lot of referees are glorified when they let fights go and that ends up being the right decision, right? Josh Rosenthal is a guy who had a longer leash, and you can be sure with a couple seconds to go, Rosenthal would have probably let this go to a third round, and that might not have worked out so well for Dominic Cruz. Obviously, the cup man had some work in the Cejudo corner, but, you know, Henry Cejudo was the better man on Saturday night. We congratulate him on an illustrious mixed martial arts career if this is indeed the end. That brings us to Francis Ngannou. Kenny, I guess my lasting impression of Ngannou's last four wins is that these referees dive in to pull him off of his opponent as if they are a paramedic trying to save a man's life. And say what you want about any technical shortcomings that maybe we saw in this 20-second fight. You know, I don't know if you're Eric Nixick, his head coach, if you want Ngannou pressing forward with like a super high guard. But this is the most terrifying force that has ever graced these eight walls, in my opinion. And, uh, you know technical or otherwise he's just destroying these elite heavyweights one after the next yeah i'll say this man um if if you're a fucking lion you act like a lion period you go out yeah. there and you destroy yeah. you get out there and you go as fast and as aggressively as you can why 
because you're a lion. And that's what Ngannou is. He yeah. goes out there and just decimates his opponents. He makes it about speed, aggression, and power. He's willing to take that trade. He's willing to take that trade that he is the fastest, most powerful guy. Now, um, can he be more technical? Absolutely. Um, and in the heavyweight division, it definitely matters. But for a lot of guys who aren't really the most technically savvy guys, who don't know how to deal and diffuse that kind of energy that Ngano brings, he's going to win eight, eight, nine, nine times out of ten. You're just not going to be able to deal with that. He's going to get to the target faster than you. And if he hits, he's going to destroy. And that's exactly what he did against Rosenstrike, who is, um, you know, has had a long career as a professional kickboxer. Uh, and Engano just took that completely away from him. He's just so fast and so explosive, man. That, uh, and he's very accurate as well. He he, he's very accurate with his shots. Um, but that was scary. It, it really is. It's a different level of of knockout power. Typically, we're like, wow, that was great. After that one, you're kind of like, that was insane. Let's make sure his opponent is okay. I, I mean, it really is that kind of level of 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 power. It, it's it's frightening. And whether he's fighting Steve A or DC, you got to think Ngannou's next fight is for the UFC heavyweight title. And I know DC is not intimidated. Feels like he matches up well with Ngannou, but you still got to get inside. And the round still begins on the feet. And uh, that would be a fascinating, fresh matchup for me. We've already seen Ngannou versus Stipe. We've seen Cormier Stipe twice. I'd love it if somehow, some way, we could see Ngannou Cormier before DC retires. But uh We'll see how they proceed with the heavyweight division. We'll see if Steve Bay can get back to training. We congratulate Methuen, Massachusetts native Calvin Cater on a huge knockout of Jeremy Stevens. Greg Hardy looked good in beating Jorgen DeCastro on the main card. A little bit disappointed in DeCastro. Stop fighting after he injured his foot. I don't know if he was just going to take solace and go in the full 15 with Greg Hardy, but he didn't go for anything after he injured his foot. Yeah. I do want to ask you quickly before we bring on Ian Parker about the Gaethje-Habib matchup and how you think Justin matches up. Because with Khabib Nurmagomedov, he's Floyd Mayweather for me in that he's just never been flat on fight night. 28 times he's showed up, and he's never had a bad night. So in one breath, Ken Flo, I would say Khabib's kind of due for a bad night. I don't know if Gaethje can bring it out of him. How do you see that unification bout at 155 pounds playing out? Yeah, not only has he been brilliant on fight night, but also you can only count maybe once that Khabib has actually been hurt in a fight um you know for floyd it was like once or twice maybe as well throughout his whole you know career but yeah you just haven't seen habib get hurt why because he's such a damn good wrestler i think gaethje does match up on paper better than anybody in that division um perhaps better than than ferguson himself because of that wrestling background because of his ability to really put you out with one shot um he's got that style that i think that if he's able to keep it on the feet, he can win. There's no doubt about it. There's not a whole lot of people you could say that about. The problem is Gaethje isn't the strongest ground fighter. So if he does get taken down, right. it's most likely going to be over and over pretty quickly. But if Gaethje's able to utilize that wrestling uh, and find a way to get back to his feet or prevent the takedowns, there's no doubt he is the far superior striker. He's got way more power on the feet. Uh, and Habib could potentially be in big trouble. But Habib could go in there and take him right down. And if Gaethje's on his back, uh, Habib's going to be all over him. There'll be a submission shortly after. Now, you say if you're a lion, be a lion. 
if you're Justin Gaethje as a guy who doesn't cut a lot of weight, knowing what this matchup is, would you change your stripes at all? Meaning, like, would you put on some muscle mass and have a bigger cut to try to deal with some of those physical challenges on the ground? Or do you think he should just stick to his strikes? I, I, I think he should stick to his strikes, man. You know, I, I think that for Gaethje, um, you know, potentially, you know, adding some more muscle mass could affect him uh, right, at this in a point. Negative I, way. In a negative way, and I also think he's just damn big enough at the 155 to be able to give uh, Habib a, a tough go out there. You know, yeah. I don't know if he's as good of an offensive wrestler as Habib, obviously, but defensively, uh, as a wrestler, supposedly, is what Gaethje was kind of known for: uh, hitting you with his hips off of doubles and singles, and being able to, you know, thwart takedowns. He's an absolute monster there. If he's able to pace himself yeah. uh, and be in the kind of shape that he can be to to defensively wrestle for 25 minutes. Uh, Habib could be could be in trouble. And then very quickly, did you happen to see Bryce Mitchell against Charles Rosa uh, I did. early on? Bro, I, did. I need to know how you feel about Bryce Mitchell because he doesn't even have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt yet. He's right. 25 years old, and he might already be the all-time UFC leader in twister attempts. I'm just curious – your thoughts on Bryce Mitchell and his ceiling, given that he was able to thoroughly outgrapple a credentialed Ricardo Laborio Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in Charles Rosa. Yeah, John. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily surprised that Bryce Mitchell was going to win that fight. But I think the manner in which he did it, I thought, was very impressive. I'll say this. Listen, uh, Ricardo Laborio, absolutely one of the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts um, ever. Um, a, a true legend of the game. But um, not all black belts are created equal. You know, uh, I, right. I think that. And then then there's, you know, are you effective as a mixed martial arts fighter? You know, I was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt early on in my career. Um, but there were definitely certain holes in my game as a mixed martial arts fighter that really needed improvement yeah. with my Jiu-Jitsu. You know, uh, my Jiu-Jitsu wasn't necessarily applied as well as it could be for mixed martial arts. It took some time. And I think that's the case for Charles Rosa. He really needs to get better with how he adjusts his game and, um, Bryce Mitchell was just all over a man. And, and listen, yeah. to be honest, if you're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and you get beat up like that and outpositioned, outclassed yeah. like uh, uh, by a brown belt, um, it, it's a little embarrassing to to be candid. Uh, uh, right. You know, it, it's unacceptable that. Right. Well, we congratulate Bryce Mitchell and all the winners, Vicente, Luque, and Nico Price, putting on an absolute show. We will have more on our YouTube channel later in the week on UFC 249, but we got two more live events coming up in the next five days or so. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, I'm going to be candid with you. In a perfect world, we'd go 60 minutes on the UFC 249 recap, but we got to show these other athletes some respect. And the UFC has two more live events in Jacksonville. So to that end, we will get to the pick. Second straight winning week for the Ducky and Parker, who now joins us live. 5-4 the final margin. So Team Anik's lead is now 38-35. As we begin with our picks for UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Teixeira, the show Wednesday live on ESPN+. And we begin a lightweight division. Drew Dober's won a couple in a row by first-round knockout. As such, slightly favored here, minus 125 as he takes on the ranked Alexander Hernandez, who comes back at minus 105, the underdog, Ian Parker. Get us started off right, kid. You going Dober or Hernandez? I'm going Dober here. I like his uh, takedown defense. I like his stand-up lately, and I think his power is what's going to really bring this through. I think Hernandez kind of has been humbled lately. 
you know, and this is a very tough matchup to come back to. Uh, I'm going to roll with Drew Dober here. I like him. Ken Flo, uh, Alexander Hernandez was to face Islam Makhachev April 18th, but of course that fight did not happen. Your thoughts on how Hernandez matches up with the streaking Drew Dober here? You know, I, I think Drew Dober uh, does have a little momentum. Um, I think he's a similar fighter to Alexander Hernandez, but uh, I think Hernandez, if he, you know, can bring all of his skills for you know uh, forth in this fight, um, I I think he wins this fight. I think Hernandez is, um, you know, I don't think he's going to be taken down. Um, I, I think this will most likely be. Um, a, a stand-up battle for the most part. I think Hernandez is going to be a little bit sharper. I think he hits a little bit harder. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Hernandez tries to take Dober down. But um, I, I like Hernandez in this one. All right, moving on now to the heavyweight division. This is the co-main event. Former light heavyweight title challenger Ovin St. Preux after 20 fights at light heavyweight in the UFC is moving on up. He is favored here, minus 150 against the king of Kenosha, Ben Rothwell, who comes back at plus 120. We will have Ken Flo lead it off here. What do you think about St. Preux moving on up? I mean, he's huge, Kenny. 80-inch reach, doesn't have to cut the weight. How do you think he matches up with Big Ben? He's a big dude. Um, certainly not as big as Ben Rothwell, though. You know, um, <laughs> Ovin St. Preux, he's got some power. I don't think... He's the kind of guy, though, to carry that power up to heavyweight and be really that effective. Um, I also don't see his submissions being as much of a factor here, here against Rothwell because I don't see him getting Rothwell down to the mat. I, I think he's going to be surprised when he sees um, a proper heavyweight out there who can hit um, uh, and who can stop the takedown. I think where Rothwell um, can have some success here is by outpointing him and utilizing his speed advantage out there. If he's able to stay disciplined, get in and get out, um, I think OSP can win this fight. However, um, I, I think Rothwell's going to win this one. Ian, what do you think? Rothwell, St. Preux, kid. I kind of like Rothwell here, too. The only thing Rothwell can't do, though, is fight the first two rounds the way he did against Stephen Struve, which is way too hesitant, waiting for the to come to him because OSP doesn't push that pace like that, you know, and I do think OSP is going to try and take Rothwell down, but I think Kenny broke it down perfectly. I think Big Ben is going to be too big, not to be a uh, cliche there. I think he's <laughs> too big, and I think the power, you know, to Kenny's point, OSP is not sitting there knocking out guys at 205 either, and, you know, it, it, this is a very weird matchup for me in regards to where to go at 205. This is a tough, tough task to jump in that division, so I'm going to go yeah. with the underdog here also. I like Rothwell. All right, your main event Wednesday night in the light heavyweight division, Anthony Smith, the minus 185 favorite here against Glover Teixeira, who comes back at plus 150. Men will need the round and the method of victory here. So you got Anthony Smith coming off the biggest win of his career against Alexander Gustafson, then lived a nightmare several weeks ago when he fought off a home intruder who was a credentialed wrestler. Crazy to hear Anthony talk to us about that whole experience. We'll try to sort of pass along that on the broadcast on Wednesday night. But Ken Flo Smith favored here over Glover Teixeira, who's quietly won three in a row. He's a man. He's 40. What do you think about Teixeira as the dog against Anthony Smith? You know, I, I think Glover is a guy who obviously has been there and done that, um, has a ton of experience, um, does have some good power when he lands. Um, obviously, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, at, at this point he matches up so great against Anthony Smith. I think Anthony Smith is going to be, um, you know, the taller man out there. He's going to utilize those long range weapons. Um, I think the awkwardness of Anthony Smith is going to throw off Glover Teixeira. Um, so I, I don't think Teixeira is going to be able to get his ground game going in this one. Um, I like Anthony Smith. I think there's probably going to be a TKO in and around round two. 
All right, Anthony Smith, the pick to click for Ken Flo. Ian, Anthony Smith just derived so much confidence from that win over Alexander Gustafson. He said to us last Friday, he's like, Gus just doesn't lose to bad people. So huge source of confidence for Smith. How do you think he matches up with Glover? Yeah, you know, um, I like his reach here. I like the length in this situation as well. I think he's also a guy that knows how to use it. I think his experience against John Jones for five rounds will play a factor here as well. You know, for Glover at this point in his career, his last few fights, we saw him in a lot of danger against both Roberson and also against uh, Ion Kutalaba. And I just don't know how much longer that chin can really last. You know, this is not a – Anthony Smith's not a fighter that if you get rocked, you're going to be able to just take him down and utilize your jiu-jitsu. You know, Ion Kutalaba, he's not known for a guy to be off his back. Same thing with Roberson here. So I do like Anthony Smith as well. Um, you would think TKO in the situation. I have a weird feeling that he's going to – rock uh, Glover, but I think he's going to finish this by a rare naked choke, and I'll say round two as well. I do think Glover's cardio is going to be a little bit of an issue for him here. Anthony does a nice pace for someone at 205, so uh, I like Lionheart here, and uh, you know I'm glad him and his family are safe, obviously, after that right. disaster of the situation, so he'll, crazy he'll, not like Anthony. He'll be the first to tell you, Ian, that he's a jiu-jitsu guy and he's not a striker. All right, Saturday, May 16th. UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Harris. We got a feature bout here in the featherweight division where Edson Barboza is now competing. He's a minus 135 favorite here against Dan Ige, who comes back at plus 105. So, Ian, 23rd UFC star for Barboza. On the other side, Ige just on a tear. Five straight wins. The last one of a high quality against Mursad Bekdich. What do you think about Barboza and Ige here at 145 pounds? I thought Ige was very impressive, and he was very smart against uh, Bekic in the way he fought. And his cardio, obviously, is his strong point. I just think he's taking on a very, very tall task here. I mean, I know he wants to step up in competition, but we're talking about a guy who was one of the best at, you know, 55 for a long time with those devastating leg kicks. I think Barbosa has fought better wrestlers. You know, I think he's fought guys with just as good cardio, and he's fought way better competition. That's not a knock on Ige. It's just where they are in their careers at this point. So I think Barboza's leg kicks are going to slow Ige down, and I'm going to go with Barboza here in his debut. And Flo, Barboza, Ige, your thoughts? You know, this is a tough one for me. I think that if this fight was at 155 pounds and I knew that Barbosa could have all of his energy, I would say, hey, Barbosa all day. I think he's the more technical striker uh, in some ways. I think he's going to carry his speed uh, down to 145 for the most part. Is he going to carry his power? Um, is he going to have the same kind of chin and not necessarily known for his chin at 155 pounds? I'm not so sure. I mean, can you guys point out the fat on his body at 155 pounds know, for me? Um, I, I don't know, man. So I think, yeah, exactly. Right around the elbow, I think he had some fat. But yeah, I don't think there's going to be much there. I, I think it's going to take its toll on him. And I think if this fight goes past you know, the first round that Ige is only going to get, you know, be more of a nightmare for him. Uh, Ige shows um, no fear as far as oh. not going forwards. And he, he's not afraid to get on the inside and trade. Um, I think Ige is going to press him from the opening bell. And I think Ige wins this one. Ige is an animal. All right. Co-main yeah. event is strawweight. Claudia Gadelia minus 190. Angela Hill plus 155. So how about Angela Hill, the workhorse? Matchmakers go to fighter. So this will be her seventh fight flow in the last 15 months. Four fights in 2019. She already has two more in in 2020 before COVID-19 intervened. She is, though, the plus 155 underdog here flow going for a fourth straight win. What do you think about Angie Overkill versus Claudia Gadelia? Yeah, it's been really cool to see kind of Angela embrace this kind of level of activity and um 
you know, have this competitive spirit. Um, I, I do think, however, that she's in a tough fight here against Claudia Gadelia. Um, Gadelia, um, you know, so long as she has that fighting spirit with her, um, I, I think she should win this fight. I think she's better everywhere. I think she's the better striker. She's more technical. Um, I think she definitely has the better ground game, and that's where she needs to take this fight. She needs to look for some singles and doubles, uh, put Angela on her back uh, where she can win this fight. Ian, Claudia Gadelia has alternated wins and losses for a while. The last winning streak with 2017 for her. She's trying to make it two straight here. What do you think about the co-main? I think this is a good fight for her to bounce back. I give Angela all the credit in the world for trying to be the Cowboy Cerrone of the, uh, yeah. of the women's division, stuff like that. And it shows. And her growth has been there. She's evolved. But I just think the level of competition she's fought is not even close to what Claudia has been fighting since the division even opened. I think Claudia, if she puts this fight, takes this fight to the ground, it'll be a nightmare for Angela. And I think on the feet, to Kenny's point, I think she's faster. I think she throws better combos. Um, again, credit to Angela Hill. This is a huge step up. She wins. Amazing. I just don't see it happening. I, I'm, I'm rolling with Kenny here. I like Claudia as well. All right. And Ian, we will lead with you on the main event at heavyweight. Walt Harris minus 170. Alistair Overeem plus 140. We'll need the round and the method of victory. Walt Harris's story is well documented. His stepdaughter and I, Blanchard, brutally murdered last fall. I don't know where Walt Harris is emotionally. You know, I consider him a friend and his wife, Angela. They're truly special people. Uh, I just think it's got to be so hard to get back to mixed martial arts training and competing, Ian. All of that being said, Walt Harris is a fucking beast, and he's about a two-to-one favorite here against the Ream, who may not be in his fighting prime, but is still a real problem. What do you think about the main event next Saturday night? Um, based on the odds, I think I have to go with the underdog here. You know, I try to put the emotions to the side. I try to put, obviously, what happened to him to the side. Although, to your point, how do you go back to doing this? You know, you want to use that as motivation. I understand you could try. Um, you know, I, my heart goes out to them. It's, it's a fucking nightmare, especially as a parent, you know, but let's look back at the last two fights. Who won it? Olnick was his last fight that he won Walt Harris, right? And Overeem went five rounds with Jarzinho and he was winning up until that last second knockout. You know, I think this fight standing, I think Overeem is still the better striker. I think Walt Harris is the better athlete. Uh, Overeem has shown though that IQ that he can't take the fight to the ground. And I think that he could put Walt on his back and, create a little bit of an issue. Um, I didn't see Overeem's cardio as a problem in that fight against Jorginho Rosenstrike at all. Right. And I think this is a big step up for Walt, especially with everything considered. And if you want to talk about betting, this is kind of hard to think that Walt Harris is getting that much respect out of Vegas, you know? Um, kind of for what? Spivak? Olnick? I mean, I know Alexi Olnick just uh, beat Fabrizio where doing. I'm eating that one real hard right there, but uh, that was a real shit sandwich, let me tell you. But um I, I got to go with the odds here. I like Overeem as the underdog. Oh, and by what round? Um, I don't know if he finishes him. I'll say decision at the moment. That will probably change. But just to get you an answer, I, I like Overeem. Right. Not trying to put you on the spot with the with the round and method of victory. I mean, we do we do do this every week. I love you. No, no, no. Uh, I know it, this one's just very hard to make right. a round. Of, you know, sorry. I got so, Ken Flo, this fight was to be the main event December 7th in Washington, D.C. So, needless to say, these guys have been on each other's respective radar for some time. How do you see the heavyweight main event going down on the 16th? Oh, man, this is uh, very difficult for a bunch of different reasons. Um, yeah, listen, Overeem has been fighting a very long time, um, you know, and, and with that, obviously, comes a lot of damage over the course of a professional kickboxing and mixed martial arts career. Um, you know, that last shot that he took against Rosenstrike was absolutely brutal. Um, you know, I, I think he was performing very well up until that point, though. Um, like Ian said, 
I think for Walt Harris, this is a big step uh, in competition for him. I think that he might be the faster guy out there. Uh, I think he might have some physical advantages out there, but um, you know, I, I think if Overeem takes it to the mat, I think he might be in trouble. I, I think that Overeem also has an ability to kind of defensively with his footwork kind of diffuse uh, the energy of, of Walt Harris and kind of not allow him to land a lot of strikes out there. Um, I, I really hope that Walt Harris goes out there and wins this fight, man. It would be great if he can pull it off. I think you know, the longer this fight goes, the more difficult it's going to be for him in a lot of ways. Um, I can't even imagine the the kind of emotional trauma that he's bringing into that that octagon and, and that baggage. It's just heartbreaking to think about. Um, I hope he wins. All right, looks like we just lost Ken Flo. Uh, we will get his Alistair Overeem official prediction uh, in terms of the round or the finish. But uh, Ian Parker, MMA on social media. Buddy, you're the lifeblood of the show. You know I love you. We'll definitely have you on for longer next week when I'm back home, and uh, we'll get your thoughts on UFC 249, and in particular how Khabib and, and Gaethje match up. But uh, appreciate your handicapping and your insight as always, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, bro. Stay safe. Have fun out there. All right. Sorry for the technical difficulties today. We'll see if we can get Ken Flo back. But last week on the show, I mentioned of all the kids out there that have been impacted by the circumstances, and there is Ken Flo surrounding COVID-19 and isolation and quarantine, I was feeling most for these high school seniors who maybe lost their senior spring or their prom, don't get to walk at graduation. So joining us right now, he's an avid Anakin Florian podcast listener and a UFC fan. He's representing West Morris Central High School in Long Valley, New Jersey. He is Mike Badalino. Did I pronounce that right, Mike? Uh, yeah, it's Badalino. Badalino. All right. Well, we yeah, appreciate you, you reaching out, man. And, uh, it's cool to have you on the show for me and Kenny. I mean, so what have the last few weeks been like as you've sort of lost your senior spring? Yeah, thanks for having me on. But, uh, it, you know, I was keeping positive, hoping, you know, we would go back uh, when we first, you know, got out of school and doing it online and stuff and uh, trying to keep hope, you know, keep positive that we would go back. And when we heard the news that we weren't going back and, you know, we would finish the school year online, and uh, and now recently hearing that, you know, graduation is going to be online virtually, it was kind of wow. upsetting, um, especially that it's my senior year. And, you know, right. you'd like to finish it off. And with the spring uh, coming up and the summer, you know, you want to be out, you want to see people. So it's a little little frustrating, but trying to keep positive. So are you going to college in the fall, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, I am. I'm attending uh, Scranton University. but. Uh, so I don't know what, you know, will happen with that. I mean, right. whether I'll be online or if I'll be able to go in the right. fall. Just crazy, man. So uh, so were you able to sit down and, and watch the pay-per-view this weekend? I was. I was. And it was awesome. It was such yeah. a great card, such such great fights. Um, and it was nice to have some live entertainment. You know, it brought some positivity into everything and super entertaining. So going into that Gaethje-Ferguson fight, Mike, did you feel like Tony was going to win or, or were you on the Gaethje side? To be honest with you, I, I, I was with Ferguson. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I was super entertained by the fight. It was a war. It was awesome. Uh, I just didn't think that would happen to Tony Ferguson. Uh, you know, he got hit with a bunch of big shots and right. so tough. Shows how, how tough he really was and everything, but crazy fight. I mean, Justin Gaethje really, really showed his adjustments on, you know, 
not not gassing out. And we all know Tony Ferguson has a gas tank. So it was right. very cool to see. So before I let you go, I just got to know you're a young man. Uh, I mean, are you too young to, to remember like Ken Flo's fighting prime? I mean, like when people say Kenny Florian, I mean, does that sound like a fossil or a fighter that you've heard of? <laughs> uh, definitely a fighter that I've heard of, but a little, little too young to like, uh, be, be, uh, when he was fighting a little too young to, uh, be, you know, watching that. But I, I, I obviously very aware of who he is and I've right. gone back and watched his, his, uh, fights and whatnot. So, That's hey, cool. Mike. My- Mike, who's your who's your favorite fighter right now, man? Oh, that's so hard to pick. It's so hard to pick. I mean, I like so many different fighters and so many different. Name divisions. your top three. How about top three? Who are your top three favorite fighters right now, dude? Right now, uh, I gotta say, DC's in there. Daniel Cormier, um, Conor McGregor's got to be in there. He's he's one of the guys who who really turned me on to uh the featherweight division and then when when he uh when he went up to lightweight and everything and uh that really brought me into those divisions and then um the third one i'm not really sure those are probably my top two definitely but uh uh, there's so there's so many though you know yeah well, we really appreciate you and just know that our heart kind of goes out to you, maybe losing some of these big things that you've been looking forward to the whole time. But we wish you all the best at Scranton in the fall if you're indeed able to matriculate. Repping West Morris Central High School, Long Valley, New Jersey, the great Mike Battaglino. Thanks for coming on, my man. Thanks for listening. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on uh, later in the year to make some picks when we got more time, buddy. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. You guys are the best. Our pleasure. All right. If you want more AnnaFlorianPodcast.com, you can watch the show there. You can listen to the show there. Merchandise is also up there as well. And we will be back with you maybe on Thursday. We'll have some content with Paul Felder. But at the very least, we'll be back with you on Monday. We'll get into UFC 249 in a more in-depth way and also recap the two shows coming up here in Jacksonville Wednesday and Saturday. Flo, text me back Wednesday night. No, he always texts me back. I just, you know. I love when all of a sudden I look down at my phone. It says Kenny Florian and not Ray Lago. I know. I always feel like I'm bothering you. Yeah, you got stuff going on. All right, you're the, I will goat. You're the fucking right. analyst goat. All right, for all right. Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thanks to TJ DeSantis, Cody Merrow, Ian Parker, Ray Longo, Mike Battaglino. We'll talk to you to, to to all of you next Monday. Thanks for all the support on the broadcast over the weekend. Until then, yo fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.